0: Waiting for the spring sunshine, welcome to Hand of Pod. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to episode 382 of Hand of Pod. I'm Sam Kelly, and I'm joined over the internet on this beautiful, cloudy Buenos Aires evening, uh, at the end of a very cloudy Buenos Aires week, uh, by Santi. Hi, hey guys. That was great. I'm Sorry, Santi, I said your name and then noticed you were the only person who didn't, who actually had your mic muted, and therefore you had to unmute it first. Um, sorry, so. By Andres. Hello welcome. By English Dan.
1: Hello and welcome.
0: And well, by the sound of it.
1: Yes he is with me growling for some reason. Uh, yeah <laughs> exactly. I'll mute my mic.
0: <laughs> and by Tony. <laughs> Hello everybody. Uh, we will all have our microphones muted when we're not talking because apart from anything else I'm eating a rather crunchy cracker as well um which <laughs> is going to make a hell of a noise if i don't need mine <laughs> um we have a few topics to talk about this week because we were a bit i was a bit lazy uh, last week and we didn't record post world cup qualifiers so we are going to dive straight in and cover those first of all um if i can find the results from them here world cup qualifying combo that's good um so let us go back in our minds, two weeks in time and then about a week and a half in time and talk about what we learned from Argentina's home match against Ecuador and their away match against Bolivia. I'll take you through all of the scores, first of all. In the first round of fixtures, uh, Paraguay versus Peru ended 2-2. Uruguay got a 2-1 home win over Chile. Argentina beat Ecuador 1-0 in the Bombonera with a Lionel Messi penalty in the first half. Colombia... Um, put in an impressive performance to beat Venezuela 3-0 at home and Brazil in probably the most predictable result of the round beat Bolivia 5-0 also at home. And then in the second round, Bolivia took the lead and Argentina, rather surprisingly, came back to win 2-1 in La Paz. Ecuador thrashed Uruguay 4-2. They were 4-0 up until Luis Suarez grabbed a couple late on Venezuela lost 1-0 at home to Paraguay. Uh, Peru versus Brazil was a more entertaining match than a two-goal margin of victory for the heavy pre-match favourites would suggest. Brazil won it 4-2, but not without a bit of a scare. And Chile versus Colombia ended 2-0. Let's focus on Argentina's games first of all, guys. Um, who wants to get the ball rolling and, and tell us what we learned from those two matches Yeah, um, maybe if, if I may. <laughs> Go for
2: but, it. But uh, <laughs> yeah, to be honest, I was rather shocked at the at the way Scaloni set up the team, um, considering the the game at the height uh, against Bolivia that was coming up after um, Ecuador at La Bombonera. I don't think I would have um, I would have gone with uh, Acuna and Tagliafico in the team and uh, well less i would have set up the team in a flat english 4-4-2, um, which to be honest kind of stifled the the any kind of offensive um, probability any kind of offensive like uh, intentions the argentine side had because um of course we were you know, we were facing a a team managed by gustavo alfaro and the um, and the way they suck Any kind of attacking intent out of uh, any team basically would go a long way to stifle all all other intentions. But basically, um, they Argentina really let um, Ecuador um, tuck into into the into the box, and basically they um, they were basically pushed to the pushed to the. To the sides each time to the wings, um, which basically didn't give a lot of results. Given that the two forwards in the in the box were basically out on Messi all the time, which have a combined height of about a, a meter and a half. But um, yeah, I don't think I don't think uh, the system did a lot of favors to, um, especially the ball and um, Paredes, who were well, who were made as a makeshift. Um, double pivots, which I don't think has exactly worked out pretty well, um, and and neither it helped Messi, who had to like go very very deep into the into his own his own half to to search for the ball. Um, there were a few encouraging signs in the way they uh, handled the Borne Fosch half, but then the second they began to give it away very frequently and very alarmingly, which um, after the the final whistle, despite the fact that Ecuador barely stepped on the, onto the Argentina box, it didn't leave a lot of uh, good impressions and we expected uh, to suffer a bit more, I think, against Bolivia, especially uh, playing in La Paz.
0: Yeah, it was yeah, a rather disjointed start. Dan, what do you think?
1: No, I was going to say, uh, I think I agree largely with what Santi said. Uh, I think he's pretty much spot on with his tactical analysis. Uh, I would add the caveat for the um, the Ecuador game that it was a very, very kind of stodgy, uninspired performance uh, by Argentina. But I think we should point out, it was not aided by an inexplicable um, Ecuador game plan, which didn't change despite the fact that they went down after 12 minutes and they continued to play the entire game as if they were... You know, still drawn nil nil, and and happy to sit on a point. Um I, It was unbelievable just how negative, how um how reluctant to break out of their own half they were. I mean, of course we all know this is what Alfaro Alfaro does, but, but even when you lose him, I mean, what was going on? I think it what was it in about the last? It took about until the last ten minutes for them to even register their first shot, not a shot on target, their first shot. Um, So, yeah, I mean, that obviously didn't help Argentina. They were always trying to force, you know, force the initiative against a team that was very, very strong at the back, just um, knocking away cross after cross after cross after cross. cross. Um, Very underwhelming stuff from the home team. And and then we came to Bolivia, which was... um, a breath of very fresh, uh, thin air, we could say. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, fantastic performance under very difficult circumstances um, where possibly Scaloni didn't get the team right against Ecuador. Uh, definitely got it right against, um, against Bolivia, bring, bringing in uh, the young ex-river current Leverkusen kid, Exe Palacios, I think was a masterstroke and... He just kept going like a Duracell bunny the entire game. And Messi, too, ran 90 minutes of altitude. Um, I don't think this has ever happened before. And it's very encouraging for Argentina. Um, you know, his partnership with Lautaro Martinez uh, continues to look very, very encouraging. I thought Ocampos uh, kept Bolivia on their toes throughout the game. Uh, Joaquin Gorreo scored the second goal... Uh, for Argentina also look very good um, and it's just very good to see p- players you know who aren't called Lionel Messi scoring and creating chances for Argentina Four players who aren't called Lionel Messi uh, this doesn't happen a lot and yeah long may it continue objectively you know six points from six at the start of a World Cup qualifier um, you really can't ask for much more than that it's um, a definite improvement on how Argentina kicked off the last qualifiers, which uh, the first game was a defeat at home to Ecuador, or, or at least the second or third game. And that kind of set the tone for for the entire qualifying campaign, which was just pitiful, really. And, you know, there's still work to be done on this team. Um, the defence is very shaky, even against not very adventurous and not very good opposition, which is what we saw in these... Last two games, I'm still not convinced. Franco Armani is the guy that to, um, uh, to be carrying Argentina forward at number at number one. You know, he really did have a, have a few flapping moments against Bolivia, and I do think there are better options out there. But overall, um, you can't complain. Um, definitely, what Argentina did against Bolivia cancelled out and and more than made up for what. You know, the were fairly rubbish performance against Ecuador. And yeah, six points out of six, job done.
0: Yeah, I owe, uh, well, I don't owe Lionel Messi an apology, but I would if he had access to our Hand of Pod uh, group WhatsApp. Um, because about 20 minutes into the first half, I, I sent you all a message saying that, you know, greatest of all time candidate though he is, he's never enjoyed matches in La Paz. Uh, he's always been one of the players who struggled most noticeably with the altitude. And maybe it would be worth just once an Argentina manager thinking about not naming him in the starting 11 away to Bolivia. Um, and then he proceeded to completely turn it round and to put in by far his best performance at altitude. Um, or certainly at that kind of altitude, you know, up in La Paz, because he's, he's played decently for them in Ecuador, uh, in, in Quito in Ecuador before.
1: Um, but then, Sam, this just goes to show what happens when you venture opinions on the hand up Pod WhatsApp group. The opposite. It does, yeah. Oh,
0: yeah. Well, yeah, but I, I still maintain that the correlation is not causation, Down either way. Mm, um, <laughs> but certainly, <laughs> Peru may or may not have fallen victim to this against Brazil. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was, as you say, a very, very good all-round performance. my Martinez deservedly man of the match, with Messi not an awfully long way behind him. Um, and much as, you know, we all laughed a bit at Martínez's equaliser for Argentina and how, uh, what a beautiful goal it wasn't, it was genuinely a classic piece of just bustling number nine centre-forward play of the sort that that Argentina haven't always had in the sort of era um, post, I guess you could say post-Gonzalo Higuain being largely forced out by fan pressure
2: yeah it's um it's really encouraging i think to have a to have a footballer who is just so uh willing to just uh, trying to trying to seek the best chance possible even against uh all odds as it was in that uh in that play that seemed basically dead and um Yeah, I was really encouraged also by the the performance of uh, Nicolás Taglefico, who was, I think, uh, one of the rather worst performers, I think, in the game against Ecuador. And um, without the shackles of playing uh, behind another bank of four, I think he he found much more uh, freedom and much more intent to go forward and join the attack, where basically he can exert the most influence. And I think that was... That was also very, very important uh, for the team to keep pushing on. I think Bolivia, um, despite the fact that they, we were playing in the in the height, though, were really, really, really poor. Um, aside from the fact that um, Marcelo Moreno Martins will be 64 years old next year and will keep scoring headers against Argentina, um, they really had no discernible plan to damage Argentina in any way in the second half they were just giving the ball away just stupidly basically letting Argentina um, attack relentlessly each and every single time which was a rather pitiful sight uh, for what Scaloni said one of the best teams in the world in these
0: conditions last time does anybody know the last time Argentina fell behind in Bolivia and then went on to win the game No, was in qualifying for the 2006 World Cup, and Scaloni was on the pitch for that one. He played 90 minutes. Um, So clearly, he has.
1: In any situation over Bolivia,
0: it is, yeah. And it's also not only is it the last time that Argentina fell behind and won away to Bolivia, it's also the only time prior to this time. So clearly, the, uh, the key there to playing at altitude is to have Lionel Scaloni involved in some way. In the national team setup, definitely. Wow, who would have thought? Indeed. Um, moving on to some of the other matches at the World Cup qualifiers that involve in the other teams, what were other people's favourites, if you can remember that far back?
2: Colombia, I think. Yeah, Colombia. They were fantastic. Uh, they looked like a really, really cohesive unit, despite the fact that there's not a lot of renovation from the names with. Uh, We've seen since 2014 from the from the Beckerman team that qualified so uh, emphatically to, to Brazil for the first time in 16 years. There's still some of the linchpins like uh, Jaime Rodriguez and Luis Muriel um, and uh, Juan Cuadrado, and they still look like such a vibrant and uh, energetic and uh, relentless team. It's uh, it's incredible, really, and they seem to be all in some very very Safe and uh, performing very, very well. Context in the in their own clubs as well. So it looks to be a, a very encouraging campaign for Colombia, despite the fact that they haven't uh, they they've won and they have drawn uh, so far in the qualifiers. But I think they're gonna qualify smoothly if this uh, if this keeps on.
1: I think
3: yeah, another yeah. team can... that looks good is Peru. I mean, even if they didn't get the points against Brazil, they're probably yeah. gonna be a part of the group. That surely will be in contention for the places. I think that uh, right now we, we can take out Bolivia, Venezuela from the equation and leave some doubts to Paraguay, for example.
2: Yeah, I, uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be so so fast to to uh, dismiss Venezuela. I think um, they have some very very good players right now. Um, maybe it's a uh, matter until they click and they they yeah. start to like play uh, more uh, cohesively. But I think they they might put a fight. I I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't. Uh, I mean,
3: against Paraguay was unlucky for them with the goal that was disallowed and the penalty and all that.
2: Yeah, it's it, it's quite early, and uh, the um, some teams faced, faced some very tough rivals as well. I mean, Argentina, for example, on the other hand, only faced uh, two of the worst. Teams in qualifier, um, despite the fact that Ecuador beat Uruguay using the, the advantage of the altitude in Quito, but um, but yeah, I think uh, I think it's gonna, be, it's gonna be. I mean, it's 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 almost a cliche to say that the South American qualifiers are gonna be tough and are gonna be um, very um, very equal equally uh, fought. But uh, I think this applies more than ever
4: for for these qualifiers. And, and Venezuela and Bolivia had some problems with the players, I think. Uh, Venezuela uh, with the players, well, that weren't given by, by the, some of the, of the teams. And, and Bolivia, with, uh, there is a fight uh, right now with the, the teams and the federation with whose uh, president died of coronavirus. And uh, they had an even more uh, weak team than they could have uh, jumped into the, into the match. Uh, I, I think that, yes, Chum, Chum, uh, Chumacero and, and Martins will have 50 years and will have to be playing there in the national team because uh, and, and they were the ones who participated in the in the play of the goal against Argentina, just shot them. So, uh, yes, it's two, two rounds. I think we can say that it was even more positive than we thought for Argentina. And then the others is more or less uh, expected. The uh, performance is perhaps... Uh, um, except for, for example, for Chile that played, I think played, played decently and they have only one point. Uh, they had that uh, that match uh, decided by by uh, well, uh, not a but they weren't given a clear penalty, I think, against Uruguay, and then uh, uh, they they uh, conceded a goal in the last minute against Colombia. So apart from that, I think that is more or less uh, 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 what we expected. I think.
1: Yeah, at the moment, Bolivia have two federation presidents. Uh, two of the mm-hmm. the guy who died's vices are both uh, claiming they're the president, and one has like eight of the top le- top flight clubs behind him. The other has six. It's completely messed up. And their coach uh, Cesar Farias, he was in charge of uh, Venezuela. He, he did very well for Venezuela. And, Back in uh, early 2010. Yeah, I,
2: rem- I remember. them uh, being one of the um, um, one of the best performing teams at the 2011 Copa America here yes, in Argentina.
1: Indeed. But the day before the Argentina game, he um, he received a formal um, a formal accusation from the FIFA Players Union because apparently he's been blackmailing and extorting Bolivia players. Um, what? Kind of in classic <laughs> kind of Caruso Lombardi form. Um, he said he wasn't going to pick them if they were involved in the union or if they didn't um, also take up the services of his agent. <laughs> so, and we, yeah. yeah, and we and we think the AFA is
2: bonkers and uh, really and really laughable.
1: Yeah, Bolivian football is not in a great way at the moment. Um, it's one of the leagues um, that hasn't started yet, along with was it Argentina and Venezuela? I think are the only ones. Still holding out.
0: Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, Bolivia, of course, uh, political level have just uh, changed leadership. So we'll have to see whether that brings with it any changes on that front. Um,
1: well, from election to election, it's the same party, but you know, depends how you classify the uh, horrible, horrible woman who was in charge for the last year.
0: Precisely, yes. I, I think it's a very... A very clear change in leadership, in my opinion. But anyway, uh, we're not a politics podcast, which is probably for the best. No. Um, yes. <laughs> the the elephant in the room, which everybody has sort of skirted around a bit, since I've asked what else is uh, everybody thought of the other qualifiers, are Brazil. Um, nine goals, for two against in the opening two matches. No question marks, right?
2: I mean, what else can be said about Brazil?
0: What I will say is, Santi, that you you mentioned that Argentina have played two of the weaker sides in Ecuador and, and Bolivia, but obviously they did play Bolivia in La Paz, which is one reason that we were also impressed with that two-one win, because really Bolivia at home and Bolivia away are two very very different fixtures. Um, Brazil oh, had I'll the help. benefit, of of course, of starting at home to Bolivia, and then against Peru, which we have sort of mentioned in passing. And um, I shall explain why it was because I was. Uh, cheering on peru in the hand of pod whatsapp group uh initially after they went 2-1 up but they'd also gone 1-0 up quite early on um in fact very early on five minutes in and then went on to win to, to lose uh, 4-2 um but brazil had you know had a few scares there they were i mean in in all honesty over the 90 minutes they they were deserved winners but peru could have got more out of that match if they'd had a little bit more of a uh, killer instincts, as it were, and first yeah. and if Neymar hadn't been brilliant, as much as we all yeah, love it, it was it was Neymar's
2: game. game. It, was, it, was very good it was Neymar's game. He he was absolutely unstoppable. He was doing whatever he wanted.
1: Yeah, I think from Peru's point of view, the um, the second equaliser kind of just knocked the stuffing out of him Come in so soon after um, after regaining the lead, after you know doing so well to. So face up to to Brazil, uh, and they and then yeah, they had t- two penalties against them. I don't think you can really argue against either penalty, but that's always going to be tough. They had uh, Carlos Sambrano, the the Boca centre back, who also got sent off again, very much justified for um, trying to to decapitate. I think it was uh, Richarlison. Um, and to be fair, Zambrano shouldn't have been on the pitch at all because he did exactly the same thing in the previous game against Paraguay and, <laughs> and somehow got away with it. So, you know, he got his um, he got his comeuppance. It just came about ninety minutes up, uh, too late. Um, yeah, to
0: do it against Brazil and it's more likely to get picked up on. The cynic might absolutely, say,
1: absolutely, absolutely. Um, but I think if probably from Peru's point of view, the, the game you will be most disappointed at out of the two is um, is the game against Paraguay because I think they yeah they, 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 could they have were taken
2: uh, that, right yeah, yeah they they considered an equaliser in the in the final in the final minutes of so much stoppage time. If I, if I if remember clearly,
1: no, I think they they went ahead and then Angel Romero, the, um one of the very very good Romero twins, of course. He netted twice off the bench, and then Carrillo came back and Ah, right, it was the other way around. Going to point, yeah. but on the on the balance of things, especially in the first half, Peru were were absolutely dominant in that game, and and really should have uh, been been far away if I remember the game correctly. Yeah. But you know, with Garica there, Peru looking good, I'd I wouldn't I would be happy to back them uh, to be out there in the in the top five. I don't know. Yeah.
2: And keep an eye on Berisos Paraguay too, who have um returned you know rather very well, I think. Um they yeah. they look pretty pretty good after just um being almost irrelevant in the last two qualifiers.
1: Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, they rode their luck a bit in these two games, but four points from from those two matches, I think they'll be very happy. And um as Santi said, as I think Sam said as well. It's going to be one hell of a qualifier because I think taking away Bolivia, who I think we can all write off now, um, <laughs> uh, all the other nine teams, Venezuela perhaps, you know, a couple of rungs down, but, but definitely, it's the fight for the top five is going to be uh, going to be fierce.
0: Yeah, in as much as they matter after two matches, uh, the standings have Brazil. Top and Argentina second on goal difference. Both of those teams have six points. Colombia and Paraguay both have four. Uh, Colombia just ahead on goal difference, so they're third and fourth. Ecuador are in fifth on three points, also on goal difference, just ahead of Uruguay, um, who are in sixth. Chile and Peru both have one point, and Venezuela and Bolivia both have no points at all. Um, so that is that. The other thing that we have to uh, get up to date with is that this week, the reason we're recording on a Friday, is that Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday were the final matches of the group stage of the Copa Libertadores. Um, and those matches, I'll take you through all the results now, I think, uh, went as follows. Olympia versus Delfin ended 1-0 to Delphine a little surprisingly and Santos as expected beat Defense Justicia 2-1. Um, in group which group was that in? I've forgotten uh, That's group G. Uh, in group C, Colo Colo Jorge Wilstermann ended 1-0 to Wilsterman. And Peñarol 3, Atletico Paranaense 2 is not a match that I caught, but it sounded like a cracker. In group D, River beat Liga de Quito. 3 0 and San Paulo beat Binacional 5 1. In Group F, Racing got a 2 1 home win over Estudiantes de Mérida and Nacional of Uruguay beat Alianza Lima 2 0. In Group B, Bolivar lost 3 2 at home to Guarani and Palmeiras beat Tigre 5 0. In Group A, Independiente del Valle uh, beat Barcelona. in the all-Ecuadorian tie, and Flamengo beat Atlético Junior 3-1. In Group H, Libertad 2, Independiente Medellín 4, and Boca Juniors 3, Caracas 0, and Universidad Católica 2, Internacional 1, and Gremio 1, America de Cali 1, wrapped up Group E, which leaves the standings looking as follows. Group A, Flamengo won Independiente del Valle 2nd. Uh, I think we already knew that before these matches kicked off. Um, with Atletico Junior going into the Sudamericana and Barcelona out. Group B, Palmeiras won it ahead of Guarani. Bolívar went into the Sudamericana. Tigre went out. We knew exactly how that group was going to finish before everything kicked off. Group C, Jorge Wilstermann, thanks to that away win over Colo Colo, have won the group. Um Atletico Paranaense finished second on the same number of goals. They just conceded one more. So on the narrowest of margins, not well, not quite the literally narrowest of narrow margins, but on one goal of goal differences has um, won Winston and the group. Peleirol finished third on nine points and Colo Colo fourth on six. Group D was won by River thanks to that win over Liga de Quito. That, of course, was second versus first when it kicked off and the other way around by the time it finished. San Paulo as we all knew they were going to anyway, finished off with... Oh, no, we didn't, in fact. If B Nacional had managed a a win, then they would have leapfrogged San Paolo, but that was realistically never going to happen. So San Paolo finished third and going to the Sudamericana, B Nacional bottom. Uh, Group E, Grêmio won it, ahead of their great city rivals, Internacional. Universidad Católica are into the Sudamericana, America de Cali are out. Nacional won Group F, just poking their noses ahead of Racing by virtue of conceding one goal fewer. Estudiantes de Mérida her into the Sudamericana, Alianza Lima go out, Group G, Santos win the group. Their win over Defensa y Justicia means that Defensa y Justicia had to settle for second uh, sorry for third, dropped out of second place, because Delphine, with that surprise win, a little bit surprised, I was surprised by it anyway, over Olympia, have leapfrogged them into second place. Um, and I asked in the Hand of Pod WhatsApp group whether Delphine are the worst team to get into the last 16 of the Sudamericana um, in the, uh, in the group stage era of uh, the Libertadores, sorry, of the group stage era. And we might discuss that possibly in a minute. And Olympia are out altogether. And Group H was of course topped by Boca, as we knew it was going to be before the final matches kicked off. Um, in spite of that, uh, oh no, sorry, partly because of that heavy defeat, Caracas dropped into third place and Libertad were able to leapfrog them on goal difference. Um, so Libertad finished second, Caracas going to the Sudamericana and Independiente Medellin uh, ended up finishing in fourth place on six points. I almost said in sixth place um, in Group H. We have had the knockout draw just before we recorded, but first of all, guys, those, that final week of matches, any that particularly caught your eyes? No?
1: Sorry, I couldn't find the that. <laughs> uh, I thought the um the final games in, in Group H like the double header with Boca and Libertad was it was fairly interesting just to see if Libertad's implosion was gonna be enough to send Caracas through because they were absolutely cruising. I think they were either one 0 oh no, know, they were one nil up against in the in the um caracas missed uh, an early penalty against Boca, which in hindsight would have would have sent them through so it looked all and then they proceeded to score to uh, concede three quick-fire goals thought so carlos tevez had you know he kind of rolled back the years um to to really star um in that match and it looked all very easy for libertad and then suddenly, in the Peñin de machine, who had absolutely nothing to play for, they already knew they were, they were going out in fourth place. just came back and um, scored four goals, including three in about 10 minutes in the second half, and that, was, and that had Libertad going out, and Caracas somehow going through. Uh, they were losing four one at home in this supposed you know, fortress um, in Asunción that Libertad have, hard Paraguayan team. Um, and then yeah suddenly they they managed to get it back to 4-2 and probably the most you've ever seen a team celebrate a 4-2 defeat it was um, it was quite quite amazing Um, so that was that was fun to watch I thought uh, defensive Corticia were desperately unlucky to um to go out against Santos they, they took the lead and and they were looking good value and then then just let it slip it's kind of something that's Happened to him a couple of times in this Libertadores campaign, but uh, they can hold their heads up, you know, debut Libertadores campaign, played some very nice football, and and I think the fancy the chances in the Sudamericana is definitely, um, definitely going to be interesting to watch them in there. Um, obviously, yeah. Racing decided to piss away 700 chances, including a hilarious missed penalty by Hector Fertoli. Um, and somehow, you know, in true racing fashion, Uh, won five games out of six, uh, picked up 15 points, you know, uh, sufficient to top pretty much every single group in, in the whole competition, and finished second, and now, as Sam will mention very shortly, get to play the defending champions, which is brilliant.
0: I'm just looking down to see whether there were any group winners with more points than that. Flamengo also finished with 15. And Palmeiras and Santos both had 16, didn't they? Um, But other than that, you're quite right, it would have been enough to win any of the other groups. Um, So hard luck rousing. Defensi Justicia, then, I I agree with you. I think in the Sudamericana, they they could go a long way. Amusingly... um, During the conclusion of the uh, River game against Liga de Quito, I think I heard one of the commentators um, say that, in his opinion, Sao Paulo, who at that point obviously were just cruising at home to be Nacional, were going to be probably the favourites for the Sudamericana. And I thought, this guy, has he just completely forgotten how Sao Paulo have played in this Libertadores group? Because while you could say that Defensa y Justicia are a bit unlucky to be dropping into the Sudamericana, you really can't say that about São Paulo. They're one of the continental giants. Um, and they were really poor, I thought, from from beginning to end of, of the group campaign.
1: Yeah, I think they were slightly unlucky in the sense that they had to play Binacional, you know, in the altitude of Juliaga. And oh, true, Liga, which river didn't. Liga de yeah. Quito or River, um, had to face the same. So you can, you know, use that as slightly mitigated circumstances. You know, they played but, two games up at altitude and river only one. But even then, uh, I mean yeah. when when, no, when we came back excuse, from lockdown,
0: really. that, that first match back from lockdown, they were at home. They were top of the Brazilian League, they were nine games into their season, and they were at home against a riverside who hadn't played a match in 184 days or something, who ha- hadn't even been allowed to train for most of that time. Um and they I mean, they, they got a 2-2 draw thanks to two own goals from River. They didn't really deserve that 2-2 <laughs> draw. Um, I I can't see them, uh, unless their reputation is going to precede them and intimidate some of their opponents, I can't see them doing too much in the Sudamericana, to be honest. It's it's always a, a tricky one to judge, obviously, when a tide is, is dropping down from the Libertadores, because it, at times the gap between a, a halfway good Libertadores side... And some of the sides in the Sudamericana, even up until like the quarterfinals, is vast. Um, but we will have to wait and see. The other Argentine sides, though, uh, other than Defensi, who's Justicia, Oh, and I guess we should also say, you know, other than Tigre, but I have to admit I, I wasn't paying any attention to Tigre's final game because we all knew how that was going to go. Um, but Boca, River, Racing um, have all, you know, done what we were expecting at the start of the year when we thought that this group stage was going to go off without a hitch and without a global pandemic that would throw a major spanner in the works they've, they've qualified albeit as you say Dan in Rasing's case in, somehow in second place but still very very comfortably um, and onward um, anyone have anything to add about their own team's exploits Andres are you happy with how River did uh,
4: well I think that against Liga and was the, the first match in which River had real problems uh, with Real Kyoto playing really well, I mean River wasn't that bad, but Real uh, Guito was, uh, I think, playing in a similar way that River plays, with their right, right on, and and left backs going too high and pressing and and and, and trying to uh, be better in the in the midfield. And uh, they well, they, they did it, but they failed to to score. And against teams like teams like River, uh, that's a, a, a big mistake. Uh, as as river uh, uh corrected some some things in the in the second half, especially with something strange which was that nacho Fernandez was playing uh, almost thirty five minutes uh, uh, with not at his one hundred percent form as he uh, crashed uh, with the, with the rival and and had to play like that uh, for the rest of the first half and Gallardo didn't want to change him right right there he was, uh, waited until the the, the the halftime, where he surprised once once again with uh, Santiago Sosa, the kid that was going to be transferred to Everton and finally that didn't happen and he put him in the position that Nacho Fernandez was playing and, and it was surprising for everyone, unless for him, of course. Uh, the thing is that he, Sosa had played in the uh that River played against Newells and San Lorenzo, but weren't uh, uh, Broadcasted on TV, so nobody could, could see that. Uh, but apparently, Gacharo said, said that he had been working with Sosa uh, to play uh, in the position in that uh, very position in case it was needed. And one, that's why uh, uh, he he played in the, uh, there and, and he did it quite well. Uh, um, uh, after the, that first half, in which I think Liga was better. Uh, uh, River could uh, well finally find the goals and the, and the situations, and, and all was more normal uh, for River in terms of the of the possibility to to win the game. And, and even with the goal that I, I think it was offside uh, uh, from Borre, not uh, seen by the referee and and the, and the lineman. And after that, it was all all for River. I think Liga at that point was uh, well. Uh, it's like they couldn't maintain or keep that that, that pressure, and uh, well, that's why I think River finally ended winning again with Alvarez uh, being there with, the, with with his goal, and uh, then after Borre and, and other Alvarez, another thing that that is uh, something like a trademark for this River from Gallardo is that he puts other players or the ones who are in the bench, and they and also uh, uh, finishing the match like in this case Prato for Carrascal who had uh, been introduced into the match uh, a couple of minutes before and finished the game with a, a nice nice finish uh, so I think it's overall it's a, a great performance for River even better than we expected I think for the six months that haven't been playing and well uh, now it's it's uh, everything I think is it's good for for River
0: Thanks, Andres. Anyone have anything to add on any of the other Argentine teams? Super. Oh, Tony, go on. You've just unmuted.
3: No, no. I was I was about to to a little bit uh, trying to uh, reinforce what we were saying. I mean, going circling back. I mean, I, I suppose that except for a couple of surprises, um, the, the teams that ended up qualifying are not really. Uh, Again, that's surprising. I, I, I think that everybody, at the, uh, without um, considering any, any pandemic, um, we were quite sure of who, who were the teams that were going to qualify for each group. So uh, I, I, it felt for me, and uh, again, this is a little bit personal watching the games, uh, all the games that I, I could touch, uh, it felt more like um, um, something that we, we know the outcome. Uh, in the end, so uh, for for some re- for some reason, I think it was the less um, uh, thrilling of the Libertadores uh, group stage in the last couple of years.
0: Yeah, I know what you mean. At the start of the year, when we previewed it, I think we we said that River's group was was the closest that there was to a group of death, um, and we would probably most of us have suggested that São Paulo. Um, were slightly more likely to qualify in second or potentially win the group than, than Liga de Quito. Uh, but other than that, I'd, I'd agree, looking at all the other groups, there's not there aren't too many surprises there. Um, we're coming up to half-time, so before we take our break, I will just go through the fixtures because, as I say, the knockout stage draw has now taken place. It took place a, few hour, a couple of hours ago. Um, for some reason, we have a gap of like a month now before the knockout stage begins, even though they're trying to, get this tournament played which seems a bit odd but anyway um and the the draw has put the following together the way that i'm going to read the teams out is the first leg so uh in the first tie, for instance guarani of paraguay will be at home to gremio uh the winners of that tie will play the winners of liga de quito versus santos um in the quarterfinal final. Uh, the winners of Racing versus Flamengo, which Dan's mentioned already, will play the winners of Internacional versus Boca. Um, and then on the other side of the draw, it will be Independiente del Valle versus Nacional of Uruguay. Uh, the winners of that will play Atlético Atlético Paranaense versus River. Um, and the remaining quarterfinal will be either Libertad or Jorge Wilstermann uh, against either Delfine or Palmeiras. Um, The only one of those that I'm going to call pretty much before it kicks off is that that last one is going to be either Libertad or Jorge Wielsterman against Palmeiras. Um, I'd love Delphine to prove me wrong, but I don't think that they're going to against one of the more impressive group winners um, of the first stage. I don't know whether anybody disagrees with that.
1: So harsh on Delphine. Poor Delphine. The fairy tale story of this Libertadores and you're just going to write them off. You'll see, Sam. You'll see.
0: I'd, I'd call them the minnows, <laughs> but of course that's the wrong species, isn't it? They're, they're dolphins. So um, I can't. We have to <laughs> see whether,
4: whether Palmeiras are good in the water uh, because, you know. All we, can, yeah, all we can say
1: is that they're playing with a lot of porpoise. That's all oh, I'll God. say about it. <laughs> Dan, you
0: need, you, oh, need to, you need to put up a trigger warning before that kind of that's horrific um had to be done on that note i think we'd better take a half-time break so that we can all sew our sides back together um we'll be back in a few minutes time and when we are we will talk about and listeners i hope you're sitting down for this the impending kickoff of the argentine top flight yes it's very nearly back don't go away I apologize if you can hear a bit of hissing in the background. Uh, The kettle has just been put on for our mate here. Um, But the guys, Tony and Santi especially, were quite eager after we went on our break uh, that I also fill you in on the draw for the Copa Sudamericana, which had completely slipped my mind, I have to admit. Um, So the fixtures in that one, we have one all-Argentine fixture, uh, which is Independiente versus Atlético Tucumán. And then we have Union... um, Santa Fe versus Emelec of Ecuador, Unión La Calera of Chile versus Deportes Tolima of Colombia. I'm going to go through these quite quickly, so forgive me if I'm talking a bit too quickly for you. But there are loads of them. So Sol de América of Paraguay versus Universidad Católica of Chile, Millonarios of Colombia versus Deportivo Cali of Colombia, Sport Huancayo of Peru versus Liverpool of Uruguay. Vasco da Gama of Brazil versus Caracas of Venezuela. Lanús versus Sao Paulo, um, which will be interesting. One of the stronger Argentine sides versus, as I said, the Sao Paulo side who flattered to deceive a bit in the group stage of the Libertadores. Aldax Italiano versus Chile. Uh, No, that's wrong. Aldax Italiano of Chile versus Bolívar of, it says here, of Bolívar, but in fact of Bolivia. (laughs) Um, Sportivo Luqueño of Paraguay versus Defensa y Justicia. Coquimbo Nino of Chile versus Estudiantes de Mérida of Venezuela. Vélez Sarsfield versus Peñarol of Uruguay. That should be an interesting tie. Atlético Nacional of Colombia versus River Plate, who apparently get a second go, uh, another continental trophy in uh, Uruguayan guys, Plaza Colonia of Uruguay versus Atlético Junior of Colombia. Melgar of Peru versus Bahia of Brazil. And Fenix of Uruguay versus Huachipato of chile um that second stage begins next week i think it's the first um legs are all next week and then the following week is all of the second legs if i'm remembering rightly yeah yeah i think yes.
3: right, yes.
1: that's why there's no libertadores right for the next couple of weeks because
0: uh because the the like goes to
1: anything, Yeah, to uh that
0: yeah, I couldn't see why they couldn't get the logistics of playing it, but you're right, they've got to have somebody to show it on television as well and enough channels to do so, haven't they? So,
1: Indeed, and there's like one. 700 games. So.
0: Anyway, the really big news, bigger even than the return of the Continental Trophy that nobody, apart from people whose teams are involved and it cares about, um, is that we're going so to what have... <laughs> No actually hang on no but before we do that let's quickly um because we uh, are on a little bit of a time budget as it were here but uh Independiente versus Atletico Tucuman Union versus Emelec. um Santi let's go with you first what what do you think of uh of Independiente's chances in that draw
2: Well um I think the best thing Independiente can rely on is uh history I think because uh there's an obvious reminder of course of that a uh, crazy, crazy couple of weeks where Independiente seemed to be facing Atlético Tucumán every three days uh, back in 2017. Of course, the most uh, memorable of those uh, clashes was the, uh, the, the second leg at home uh, in the 2017 Copa Sudamericana, which uh, was an incredible, incredible game that I actually got to witness uh, at the Libertadores de América. Um, there were um, there was a send, uh, sending off for Nico Ilicio. There was a penalty which um, Pula Rodriguez first scored, but had to retake and was then saved by Campagna. And then um, Benitez's uh, scorcher from distance uh, before, uh, before before full time, like about seven minutes before full time, which was uh, which put in the painting in the quarterfinals and en route to uh, the title in 2017. There's this um, moment of uh, well. Moments independent fans rather cherish, but um, apart from that, I think um, it's a very tough, a very tough, uh, very close encounter. I think for for Independiente because um, the signs in the in the friendlies uh, were not particularly uh, encouraging, especially in defense, where even a new signing, Ezequiel Muñoz, uh, has um, well has. Has, uh, has injured himself and will be out for about two or three weeks. So, yeah, I think Independiente have got it tough. But if they qualify, um, they will face the winner of Fed- Phoenix and Wachipato, which uh, I think that would certainly be a more uh, forgiving game for Independiente. But first, they have to get over this very tricky and very um, annoying, I think,
0: Atletico-Tucuman side. Uh, do we know play. anything about how Tucuman have got on in friendlies at all because no I, don't
1: have a clue. I was just going to say Wachibado is a fantastic name for a football club yeah
0: it's a lot of fun <laughs> to say
1: oh Wachibado. i
0: i i, yes. I do think much as i i you know like to denigrate the Copa sudamericana at least uh, up until about the semi final stage um it, it does have the more enjoyable, it tends to have the more enjoyable club names than the Libertadores because well, so course, many of them it, are. In the past, so we've frequently.
2: seen in the past we've seen Boston River and uh, Mushuk Runa, for example.
1: I yep. think always ready. We're in there once as well.
0: Yep. Yes, he the was. the team with the actual sports. best name in Bolivia, not not like the strongest, <laughs> which everybody thinks is. if They don't follow South American Pretenders.
1: football. Pretenders, the boys
4: who who play sports, of course. Yes.
0: Indeed. Uh Tony, how are you feeling about Union uh coming up against I I mean, almost a continental giant, but certainly an Ecuadorian
3: giant? Um <clears throat> yeah, I mean the the thing that always pissed me off when the late South American or the couple of South American uh for Union is uh they always get a little bit um shorthanded in the in the draws uh 20 combinator it, look a little bit more uh, tough on paper but uh, with some scares in the end we Union ended up um winning the, the, the tie. Was that and the now again we get to Yeah. God it really um, has been a
0: lot today,
3: hasn't <laughs> it? and and last last season uh, we went to, to play against the Mente Lusche, um, uh, the team that eventually went to the final and we got out. Uh, and then uh, now we get to, to go to, to Ecuador again. Uh, so it feels um, like another, uh, I don't want to say unfairly draw, but, you know, it, it feels like it's a little bit more of an uphill battle than maybe other teams have, but that's the nature of a draw. And there's a lot of questions uh, going around with us The team looks okay. We play a couple of, of friendlies against Mules, for example, that most of them ended up in victory. The team looks quite cohesive, but it, happen, it happens what always happens with Union in, in these uh, situations and between transfer markets when many people that is key for the team ended up leaving um, like Masola, Bo, or, or Um And there is not an actual replacement in terms of, of uh, semi-quality or semi-experience, but uh, the kids look ready to go. Uh, we have some youngsters that are coming uh, probably to the first team, like Kevin Senon, I think that you should keep an eye on him. And that, that should be interesting to see, at least, um, given that the team never got yet to play an official game with Asconzabal as the coach. Uh, the only good or important signing was Cookie Marquez, and that tells you everything, I suppose.
0: Sorry, I was looking up for the next section there and uh, had to race my mouse across two screens to get the, the mute button unclicked. Um, yeah, of the, the other two fixtures, I think are we all agreed... Uh, sorry, there are, there are three fixtures, aren't there? I forgot Lanús. Um, but Peñarol uh, versus Vélez and Lanús versus San Paulo both ought to be a little bit more interesting than Defensa versus Sportivo Luqueño, I think. But then again, I don't know much about Sportivo Luqueño. Yeah, yeah,
1: all me. I know, all I know about Sportivo Luqueño is that it's Ralph Hannes, the friend of HandePod's uh, favorite team, and as Conmebol's a, local Luque, team. Yes, as a former Luque resident. So yeah, that's something.
0: And and Conmebol's local team as well, of course.
1: Indeed, yes. Good home numbers. of the uh, Conmebol headquarters. Where are they are based? Of, yeah. Just outside Asuncion. It's like Greater uh, Asuncion.
0: Yes. Now, moving on to the Liga Profesional, as the um, Argentine top flight is from now on going to be rather wishfully named, perhaps. Um, how is this going to be happening? There has been a draw. It's going to be kicking off next weekend, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, so we will come back at you with a, a full, proper preview of it at some point next week um, but we thought we'd better mention that it's, it's going to be played because this was finally confirmed last week and of course we didn't record last week um, so we have had a draw and there's also going to be now w- what I'm not actually quite sure about guys is is, is the Liga Profesional and the Copa de la Liga Profesional are they different things or are they the same thing? as you yes. might notice oh. I've not been paying a lot of attention <laughs>
1: As far as I understand, the Liga Profesional is the new name for the league taken over from Superliga. But since this is a transitional stopgap competition, uh, they've called it the Copa Liga and it will count as a Copa, not as a league tournament.
0: Excellent. Right. Yeah. So they've sort of rather than try and squeeze in a tiny national championship, they've said this isn't going to be a championship. We can't fit one in but we are going to have, exactly to have a competition the, to launch
1: it. Yes, the games won't count towards average points. Um, there's There'll be, to be no relegations too. Yes, no relegations. Well, there's no relegation next year either. Um, While well, we're there. Uh, so it's
3: it's kind of going like they, what the United States did in both male and, um, and women competitions, doing kind of cups to kickstart again. Yeah. Oh, That's what the the MLS
2: is back tournaments, yeah.
3: Yeah, and the Challenge Cup in WSL, et cetera, et cetera. It's just doing something to kickstart a competition, basically, right?
1: Yes. So as far as I understand, and please correct me if I'm wrong, the teams have been divided into six groups of four. Each uh, group will have home and away fixtures between the four. The top two teams from each group will go into the championship phase, um, which I believe will be a straight knockout. to go for gold and the bottom two teams from each group will go into the complementary phase um i don't know if anyone watches kind of sevens rugby or that um or these kind of competitions where you have like a the cup competition and then the plate and the bowl um so all the teams kind of carry on uh, playing right to the end um that's essentially <laughs> what's happening here um so yeah that's a, a
0: minor good. correction done I think that the championship phase is going to be a group of yeah, two groups of 12 teams and then the top two of that group when it's all done are going to play a final to decide the the cup um, uh, I think there will be
4: do. also two groups of six uh, and that will be uh, oh i see right so
0: rather than one group of 12 it's, it's two groups of six five yes, matches yes. Uh, you play home or away like the old apertura and Klausura, and then whoever wins the, the two winners of the group play each other that makes more sense Thank yeah you, that Got doesn't you. make a lot of sense does it makes as much sense as anything this year something <laughs> um but yeah the the uh the zona the complementaria i think is is my favorite name for any football related thing um in Argentine football this year which admittedly is quite a short list given that there hasn't been much Argentine football this year but I, I still yeah, think
1: essentially it's, it's the up. the make up the numbers phase if you like
0: yes exactly yeah, yeah. Um, so the yeah, groups I'm... are uh, sorry uh, Santi you were going to say something no, no 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 go ahead go ahead the the groups that have been drawn are group one Racing Arsenal Atletico Tucumán and Union uh, so pitting two hand-of-pod-supported teams together there. Uh, Group two is Independiente, Defensa y Justicia, Central Córdoba and Colón. I like how there's a little bit of sort of geographical consistency in all of these. You've got an Aveshaneda team, a team from not a million miles away from Aveshaneda, a team from somewhere in the interior and then a team from Santa Fe. Um, Group three, River, Banfield, Godoy Cruz and Central. Group four is Boca, Lanús, Tacheres, and Newells. Group five is San Lorenzo Argentinos, Aldo Civi and Estudiantes. And group six is Vélez Sarsfield, Huracán, Patronato de la Juventud Católica, and (laughs) Gimnasia, or Diego Maradona's Gimnasia, as we are legally obliged to refer to
1: them. Yeah, there was was also this um, rumour going around before the draw that um, not only were Gimnasia to be drawn alongside Argentinos in one of the groups, but that it was already s- decided that Gimnasia would visit Argentinos uh, in the first round of matches uh, next Friday, which is, of course, Maradona's 60th birthday. So so that Maradona, uh,
0: on his birthday, would be emerging from his own chest when he walks out the tunnel.
1: Exactly, yes. And, in his own um, stadium. Yes. And part of me is, you know, happy that it's not completely, blatantly rigged everything... And, going on here but at the same time that Would you add something would have been else great then? to see would,
3: would well, you add something else to, to the paraphernalia of Maradona coming off from uh, his own chest at his own stadium or his name in the stadium would you add yeah. something else to that
1: maybe hang a Cuban cigar out of his mouth or I don't know having coming out coming out on um, in like a litter which where which Middle Eastern sultans used to use to get around. There, there was a lot of scope for, for experimentation there. and
3: Yeah, I'd take you by the flag, maybe.
1: Yeah, I'd be happy with that. I mean, they could have done a lot more. One opinion.
0: thing I like from from the uh, the Argentine football history geek's perspective is, of course, they, they've been quite open about the fact that they've separated the big five out into... Uh, the, so none of them are in, in the same group as each other. But then because there are six groups... Um, I don't know whether it's a coincidence or whether they did it on purpose, but the two teams who back in the sort of 30s and 40s always used to argue about which of them is the sixth grande have both ended up in Group 6. Beles and Huracán have been drawn um, yeah, together, and, uh, which I think is quite sparked,
2: nice. About. Yeah, and it sparked the ire of uh, Huracán chairman Alejandro Nador, who um, was in fact uh, very adamant on his position that he considers Huracán to be the sixth big team uh oh yeah of course it was is, um, well yeah to be honest a very 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 tired and uh useless pointless arguments i think uh and the fact that they've been drawn uh, alongside Veles uh in despite the fact that in the that in the in the pre in, before the the, the draw they, they had said that they tried um they tried to uh, not uh, put uh, that many teams from very close together, and uh well they ended up sorting huracan and Vélez, who apparently is uh, who are apparently a team from Jujuy as far as we know but um but yeah it was pretty funny
0: yeah I mean the inevitability of having at least two teams from somewhere in the greater Buenos aires conurbation city or province uh that that's unavoidable i guess but um but yeah it's uh Nice little bit of symmetry. I don't know, as I said, whether it's intended or not. So this is kicking off next weekend. Uh, I don't know whether anybody knows what the first round of fixtures is going to be. Does anyone- the yes, fixtures it
1: have been drawn, but we haven't got any dates or times yet. Okay. D- does anybody uh, want to
0: tell us what the first weekend of fixtures is going to look like? I can if you that like, like. Some. Out next week, but Dan, yeah, go on, take it away.
1: Um, Racing. Kick-off at home to Atletico Tucumán. So Atletico Tucumán will be playing both Avesh sides three times in the next week and a bit. Uh, and Union, log- logically enough, will be playing Arsenal in the other game in Group 1. Group 2 is y Justicia at home to Colón. Central Corva of Santiago del Estero at home to Independiente. Zone 3, Rosario Central against Corre Cruz. River Plate against Banfield. Zone four, the zone of death, I would consider. Lanús at home to Boca, Tacheres at home to Newell's. Zone five, Aldo Civi against Estudiantes in del Plata and Argentinos against, not Gimnasia, against San Lorenzo <laughs> uh, in Maradona's chest. And zone six sees Vélez Huracán play for the right to be called the Sixto Grande once and for all. And Gimnasia are at home for Diego Maradona's birthday against Patronato, and I would be shocked if that game isn't played next Friday.
4: Yeah, that seems like it the obvious s- choice, doesn't it? It makes sense that they will play for to decide who will be the sixth round as they play in zone six. Oh, Quite. that's even neater. Yes. I hadn't noticed that, Andres. Well done.
2: Nice fine. Huh?
0: Yes. So we will be back, obviously, next week to uh, preview that properly um, and, and to... Uh, I guess, give some slightly more thought-out comments on the groups and fixtures and everything. Um, But I'm now just going to quickly turn my attention to our Twitter account, where, God, we've had 20 notifications since I tweeted a couple of minutes before we started. Um, So we're going to tackle some of our listeners' questions. They begin, once my phone allows me to scroll down, as follows. Johnny, uh, whom we haven't heard from in well, I've not heard from him in, in some time, but I hope it's doing well, uh, it says, how about that Bielsa? Has something happened? I'm joking, I do know what happened. But uh, yeah, just <laughs> as we were recording, uh, Aston Villa lost their 100% records to the start of the Premier League season um, quite heavily. Was it at home to Leeds? It was, not No way. Yeah, it, oh, wait. I think it was... No, uh... oh, really? Villa
2: wasn't were Wasn't it at home, a I, Bill Villa yeah, well, I think it was, yeah, they were. Yeah. It was a Villa
0: of fuck, yeah
3: um so yeah, well for, all, done, for all the Amy martinez was was happy about the his clean sheets she ended up
0: yeah i'm a bit. Go, i i i transferred him into my the starting 11 of my fantasy football team about 10 minutes before kickoff uh thinking that he'd do better than uh my other goalkeeper who i can't remember who he is this weekend um so that that shows me um but yes congratulations leeds fans he says three gritted teeth. Uh, Tom Robinson <laughs> says, have you paid the ransom to the chipmunks that were holding Sam hostage the past two weeks? Very funny, Tom. I hope
3: that my voice sounds a bit more normal now. <laughs> yes, very nice. um, yes, that, will, that will be there. the answer.
2: Yeah, it would be very, would be very funny if um, it sounded normal now, but after we ended up recording and, you know, releasing the podcast, it, it went back to the chipmunks style again.
0: Yeah, I th- I have a feeling that that was to do with uh, how I connected the the my microphone to the computer before recording. So hopefully it sounds okay now. Jason Longshore says, "Who are some players you expect to emerge in the upcoming championship?" Oh God, have to remind ourselves who all the teams are first of all. I think.
1: Yeah,
0: I'm going to go, go a for time. a
1: very. I'm going to go for a really safe one and say. Julian Alvarez, who's been fantastic in the Copper for River, you know, he's made the breakthrough these last couple of weeks, and I'd imagine he'd be carrying that on um, in the Copper, depending on, you know, uh, how much of the first team River do actually feel for this Copper. We know that they tend to put to one side domestic competition when the Libertadores is in place, so they might be blooding. A lot of new players, to be honest, so that could be a chance for for some new blood to come through. Um, Racing had a couple of interesting young youngsters come through uh, in the Libertadores as well. Um, Thiago Baniga came in and he scored a couple of um, important goals in the group phase. And there was another couple of guys, let me just remember, Carlos Alcaraz. Benjamin Garren, who's he's blown a bit hot and cold, I must say. Um, He's had some, you know, fantastic interventions um on the wing and he's also looked a little bit streaky at times. So but he's clearly a fantastic talent. I think um for, from Racing as well, you can expect these kind of guys to play a big part in the in the copper because uh some of the more experienced players will most likely be held for the Libertadores. Um and yeah. Uh, anyone else want to jump in?
2: Yeah, I was thinking perhaps this would be a good opportunity for Alan Belasco to try and um, make himself uh, a spot in the in the 20 starting eleven, as well as um, Chaco Martinez. I think um, if there was time for the the youngsters to try and uh, earn a place in the in the team, it is it is now. I think because I mean the the senior players are quite, you know are much better than them.
0: Um, is... I will go on Tony sorry.
3: Uh, I will add to from the from the interior Um, but that also depends on how many minutes they will get but I suppose they will get a fair share of minutes. I, I mentioned previously uh, Kevin Senon, Arunion, and Sforza from new South Boys. I think they're two good players really young but they, if they get minutes and opportunities I think they're going to uh, start uh, catching some, uh, some ice.
1: Yeah, it's a hard one to judge because obviously the youngsters we last saw um, when Argentine football was last playing are now thirty-five. They've had kids. They're just about to retire. You know, <laughs> their talking about careers you. have come and gone. Pretty much. I mean, I was I was seventeen when when this lockdown started, so I can only imagine what, what it's been like for the rest of them. I think
0: that we've probably answered most of uh, the next question as well because AB has asked a very similar one. Who are some of the Fibes Semicheros that might get a crack at joining the team in the semi near future? He doesn't say which team, but he then goes on to say, are there any names that we should look for who haven't started for River yet? So Andres, can you think of any who might be
4: coming into the River team? Well, uh, one uh, uh, free show was the other day with Sosa, the one who... Appeared because Nacho Fernández had a, like a, uh, an injury, and then of course we have to see whether Lacerdo tries to put in the, into the team. For example, Federico Girotti the striker, who appeared in the in the group stage for Copa Libertadores. Uh, taking into account that uh, next month, uh, by the end of the month, there will be the the, the round of sixteen of Copa Libertadores, and the the, the, the Copa Superliga starts right now but uh, I, I i think that the team is pretty much uh uh, uh complete but uh, he, when copa libertadores and the tournament uh, are playing simultaneously perhaps uh, that is the, the 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 time in which uh, perhaps garcelo uh, could uh, uh include these guys like hiroti and beltran is i think behind him another another striker uh, but uh I don't expect, apart from Sosa and these two or three guys, uh, to, to, for Gallardo to uh, try to put much more kills than he's uh, right now. Thanks, Andres.
0: Uh, the next question is from Jamie, who says, how far will Pepo, the new Canisia de la Vega, go? Uh, do you expect him to stay in Argentina for much longer? That's a tricky one to answer because he's still only 19 now. So in a way, I hope that he does have at least a couple of years here to, to help his development and get lots of first-team football for Lanús. Um, but at the same time, he's not had very much first-team football. <laughs> well, he's had as much as anybody else, I suppose, in the last six or seven months. Um, and so it, it's going to be interesting to see with some of these really young kids who, who were just breaking through. Um, whether that early promise is, is going to be affected by this, um, the lack of football that they've had so far this year.
1: There's a recent rumor that uh, Bielsa has turned his attention that leads to young pepper, So obviously that will happen. We know that football rumors are
4: notoriously reliable. Watch this space. <laughs> uh, but there were several kids that uh, it was said that uh, Bielsa. I was looking at, but finally no, none of them arrived to, to Leeds. I think uh, Foyt was one of him, uh, one of them. Then uh, I think also, um well, if you say De La Vega, but uh, there were also some others who I don't remember right now. Well, uh, Teo Almada
2: yeah. Teo yeah. and Rodrigo de Paul, was in fact pretty close, yeah. but uh, they couldn't agree on a, on a transfer fee.
4: Yes.
0: Yes. Uh, The next question is one that we seem to get about every two or three weeks, and this time it is Perfect Tommy, or now called ex-Perfect Tommy, um, who is stepping up to be the person to ask it. He says, do you see Marcelo Gashardo moving on anytime soon?
4: Well, his one-year contract has one-year contract left, so I don't think he will leave now. Uh, I think that at, at least he will stay until the end of his contract and then... Uh, we will see what happens, but uh, now I don't think he will re- leave right now, uh, or at least in in twenty twenty one. I think at least.
2: Yeah, I think it also depends on the situations of um, most of European clubs. I think, um, well, mo- I think most people have uh, pointed out that um, Gajardo is a very has well, his stint at River has been. Uh, dominated by the fact that he had been a very successful and very um, beloved player in in, in River back, back in the day. And um, that has given him a lot of uh, freedom, you know, to 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 decide and to promote youth players and to have a say in the transfers. And I think...
0: Um, in, in fairness, Santi, the absolute truckloads of trophies he's winning also gives him that kind of
2: well exactly but even even before that i think it's um, i think we're going to okay, be a bit yeah, hard right, pressed right. to i think we're want to be a bit hard pressed to find for him it's he's going to be a bit hard pressed to find uh such a um, such a benevolent and such a such a well uh managed atmosphere in in another club in europe right away uh which i think would make the um, the the likeliest um clubs for him to to take up take uh, over perhaps psg and monaco which are maybe the two clubs where he's uh, the most fondly remembered as a player and um yeah there, w- there were some rumors about him uh, taking over monaco before Nico kobach uh took charge right now but uh i think apart from those it's going to be tough to think of a, of another club in europe who where Gallardo might uh, test his skills because the, um, I think the, the atmosphere is going to be extremely different. He's going to have a lot of ego to, 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 to handle as well. And if you remember um, the other most uh, successful manager in the history of Argentine football, Carlos Bianchi, and his adventures in Europe, uh, which were well, pretty poor, um, There's the the precedent is not um, exactly great. Let's say for for these kind of managers. Yeah. Yes,
4: and it, it is also said. Sorry, it is also said that uh, he will uh, arrive to a team where he could uh, manage or take decisions in not only the first team but also the the divisions. And when it was said that he will he that he could uh, be the coach of Barcelona, apart from uh, being the room or it was. I don't imagine Gazzardo or Barcelona go uh, saying Gazzardo. Okay, you take uh, everything on you and you decide everything about the team and the and the players that we we get from the Mas the La Masia and I, I don't uh, I don't see him in a team like that. I I, I think that he will go to a team, perhaps uh, of course not a, a minor team, but a team where he could get. Apart from the, the, perhaps not the same the, the same freedom that has a river, but similar, like a, 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 a manager, like we say here, like we use some. So I, I don't I don't say, I don't see him in a team to only be the the, the, the coach of the first team and and,
0: and see. No, I think yeah. you're right, though, Andres. Yeah, and and yes. obviously it's a challenge that all of us would like to see him take on as well. I suppose. Possibly, probably apart from Andres, would like to see him take on at some point, is mm-hmm. he's going to Europe. Yeah, yeah. Andres um, mentioned the,
2: um, the rumors of him linking him to Barcelona, which uh, actually reminded me of how well uh, the Barcelona faithful received uh, an outsider Argentine into the management position. That went pretty well, I think, for them.
0: Indeed, yes. Uh, I assume you're being slightly sarcastic there.
2: Yeah, I think it, it, it took a bit of time for you to catch up, it seems.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's, it's difficult to do this when we're not all talking face-to-face, isn't it, I'm assuming. But um, yes, um, as Dan has just pointed out, by the way, uh, on our little Zoom group chat, uh, the fixtures have just come out. And uh, all I'll say is that Dan's prediction that Jimnasia versus Patronato would be on Maradona's birthday, was correct so well done Dan Uh, we won't take you through all of the other ones
1: because
0: you don't care about uh, what's kicking off exactly when or at what time or whatever but Sunday looks like it's going to be a right slog just a quick um, glance at that Uh, next question is from Liam Kelly who is no relation to me who says where will River be playing their home games in this Copa Liga tournament and for the Libertadores knockouts I assume for the Libertadores knockouts that they'll be remaining at Independientes Stadium uh, as they have for the group stage. Uh, I suppose for the domestic tournament, it could be a bit trickier, although I do note, seeing them right next to each other on this fixture list that Dan's just linked us to, uh, that on Sunday, Independiente are away and River are at home. So possibly that's been taken into account in drawing up the fixture lists?
2: I'm not quite sure. Maybe maybe Andres has a bit more for me, but um, I am not exactly sure if the... The ground sharing will carry on within inside the, the the league games as well as the as the cup games.
4: Well, I think it's still not decided. But River wanted to play the in the River Camp, the, the training session camp, where the, there are uh, uh, pitches like the uh, monumental, but of course not with the stands, but uh, similar, the same the same measures and, and everything, but uh, I think he still uh, don't decide where he will play in the Libertadores Stadium or in the River Camp, as River wanted. Uh, that will be more in a home condition than if they play at the Libertadores Stadium, where even when they have already played there for Copa Libertadores.
0: Thanks, Andres. Uh, Darren Paul has... I think, oh, it's not quite the last question, uh, but same old from me. When is Argentine basketball likely to come back or other sports? Anybody, quickly? No, no idea? No, no, no group sports, yeah. Is the push on football right now? Yes, very much. Uh, best wrestling additions? Dan?
1: No, they have only, only made two signings, and one of those is a third choice keeper, so. So, sort of by default, it would be Lorenzo Melgarejo, the Paraguayan ex Spartak playmaker, who has looked interesting and, and scored the opener on uh, whatever day Racing last played Wednesday, Tuesday, one of those days. So, yeah, he would be the best.
0: Uh, Saracho, too cheap or good money, Dan?
1: I honestly don't know how much he cost. Um, <laughs> That's a good start. Uh, I, I just can't be bothered to follow transfer fees anymore. Um, I'd say Racing Need to sell. Obviously, like all Argentine clubs, have been running massive deficits over the last few months. They even called me up actually. Um, I think it was last Friday, asking why I haven't been paying my membership dues in a sort of a threatening manner. Um, so perhaps if you know if I paid a little bit more promptly, they could have got a few more quid for Zaracho. They could have held out. Who knows? Contra counterfactual. Well, I hope you're
0: uh, hanging your head in shame, down. Uh, and Darren,
3: remember. Sorry, Sam. I remember that I discussed this with another Rossing friend. There's also from England that you know. Um, that Saracho has a clause uh, when he's sold eventually, and that's where Rossing supposedly will get more of the money. So
1: yeah, and I think it was like fifty percent of the contract, something like that. What I would say on Zeraccio is that he hasn't kicked on as much as a lot of people would hope the last 18 months and Racing have fuckloads of midfielders. So I think it was a no-brainer really, as much as you know everyone likes to see Racing lads playing playing for the local club, and yeah, you can't really argue against the sale too much.
0: And Darren's final question is will Sam live stream some football man, please, for the good of the sport. Um, to which my answers are that A, I have no interest in doing that, and B, even if I did, I don't have the technological know-how to, I'm afraid, sorry. Uh, River Plate News says, in 2019, the rumours of Gachardo leaving River to manage a European giant were very strong. After the defeat against Flamengo, this rumour calmed down. Do you think that if River are successful in this edition of the Libertadores, Gachardo will coach in Europe? So we've been asked it twice, basically. Um, I suspect that we can just say, pretty much see previous answer to that one um (laughs) unless anybody does have anything to add no cool in that case um that was the final question so we shall say thank you very much and goodbye um not however before thanking our wonderful patreon supporters who uh, give us a little bit of money in return for some extra content and right now uh four of us because santi has to be uh off out but uh, the rest of us will be staying behind to record a hand of pod extra on the very interesting and in no way tedious and entirely predictable um media war between the afa and whoever the hell is claiming to have the rights to the television um uh, broadcasts of the upcoming championship slash copper um if you want to hear more about that then get over to patreon.com slash hand of pod that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash hand of pod and sign up at the five actually i think i've just changed the currencies on it now so i think it's now the four pound 50 a month um tier and get involved thank you very much indeed to everybody who already is uh, we greatly appreciate that as i hope you all know for now thanks very much for listening and goodbye from santi bye guys thanks for having me from English Dan, goodbye. From Andres, thank you. Goodbye. And from Tony, thank you. Goodbye. Oh, and from me as well. I forgot to say myself. Uh, <laughs> thank you and goodbye. <laughs>